Okay, so Hebrews 6, we'll look at two verses in just a second. I'm going to read you a couple paragraphs from a book called Unshakable Hope. Maybe you can relate to this in some ways, in some, in some sort of way, maybe now or maybe in the past. Maybe some of us will be there at some point in the future, I don't know. But he writes this, Long after the kids are bathed and put to bed, the single mom stares at the bills and checkbook balance. Too many of the first, not much in the second. She's called on all her friends. She's cast in all her favors. There aren't enough hours in the day to earn more money. She stares out the window of the small apartment and wonders where to turn. There's the weary man in the ICU standing at the bedside of his only love. He can scarcely remember a day without her. They married so young, he's never known anything as pure as this woman's heart. He leans over her face and strokes her white hair. No response. The doctors told him to say goodbye. The husband is all out of hope. What about the executive who sits behind the big desk in the corner office? His handshake is firm. His voice sounds confident, but don't let his demeanor fool you. If solvency were a jet... His is in a tailspin. His banker wants to meet. His accountant wants to quit. And Hope? Hope boarded a train for the coast and hasn't been seen for a week. Uh, I suppose, I don't know, uh, lot, we've talked a little bit about this in the last couple of weeks. I, I suppose with, with um, everyone in here, to one degree or another, we've experienced those moments, uh, financial struggles, relationship problems, um, health issues, anxiety about the future, job problems, whatever. Um, maybe you've been to that point, you know, you, you feel like, wow, where, where's, what do I have, you know, I'm running out of, I'm running out of hope, like it's, and I'm struggling, you probably, you've probably been there a time or two. Hebrews 6 has these two beautiful verses at the end of the chapter. We have this as a sure and this is verse 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. There's a lot of background to that, but I think we don't need to know everything about the background to understand verse 19, because what the writer is saying is Jesus has gone into the veil. He's gone, he's gone beyond the veil, behind the curtain. And uh, that's a reference, as we studied not too long ago, that he's entered the Holy of Holies. You know, he died on the cross, the veil was torn, and signifying his entrance into the throne room of God, he opened up access to us. Because he's gone into the curtain, behind the curtain, we have an anchor of the soul. I think when we run out of hope, when we feel this I don't know, this angst, this, uh, this kind of feeling that there's, there's no hope, it is probably because we're putting our hope in self. Like, what can I do? Or we're, we're, we're taking blame. What have I done? And I can't undo that. And what can I do now? It's, it becomes a very kind of a self-centered kind of thing. And truth is, if we put our hope in us and we put our hope in others we will run out of hope because people are going to let us down and we can't do it you know in and of ourselves now i'd like for you to turn to isaiah 40 because we are going to read a number of verses in that chapter and we'll spend most of our time there for the next uh, next few minutes as we study about about this topic of faithfulness of god the promises of god 
I want to talk about this promise tonight, and that is that we've got hope in Christ. We've got hope in the only one who can sustain us. And some of you might be there tonight. Some of you may be listening online or there tonight. You're, you're kind of at the end of, end of your rope, you know, kind of just wondering, what in the world? What, what am I going to do? Where do, I, where do I turn? And maybe we can relate to this. Isaiah 40. We're going to make our way to the end of it. I probably won't have time to read all this chapter. It's, it's not that long, really. 31 verses. But man, there's, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of stuff in this chapter. Let me give you a background. This is, this is a, lot of, a lot of debate, a lot of scholarly debate about Isaiah 40 and the book of Isaiah in general and how it breaks up and the dating and, and stuff like that. But regardless of where we fall in some of that debate, I think it's, it's important for us to understand that this is a difficult time in Israel's history. All right, so you remember, just, I'm just do this quickly. We're not going to dwell here, but you remember Israel had been, uh, would be, uh, if Isaiah is writing this around the time of um, Israel being taken, or, uh, uh, taken over, overrun by Assyria, that's, that's the background. Probably Isaiah 40 is writing, looking ahead to a different time when Judah would be taken into captivity and exile. And, and, and so I want you to imagine right now that Isaiah 40 is talking about God's people being in a foreign land. They have been, their, their city has been overrun. Jerusalem is no more. Uh, the walls are down. The temple's gone. They're away under the thumb of Babylon, cruel nation. And they're wondering, where's our hope? Where, where can we go? Where do we, where do we turn? What, how are we going to get out of this mess? People don't come out of captivity. Once a, once a Babylon overruns your, your city, you don't ever go back. You don't ever return. That's it. The ancient world, there's not a, another example of something like this happening where they then go back and, and resume life. It just, it just doesn't happen, you know? But these people are God's people, so they're wondering, what, what we, God, we thought you were in control. We, we thought you were sovereign. We thought, we thought you were powerful above all the other gods. You, you were the capital G God in the midst of all these pagan little, little G. You're, you're an uppercase G God in the midst of all the lowercase G gods, you know, the land. So what, what, what in the world is going on? So with that background, let's read a little bit of this. All right, this is talking about hope for us, all right? When we feel like the world's the cards are stacked against us. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Like, we've gotten enough, you know? A voice cries. See if you hear some echoes here of other things. In the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, I'm going to pause. Stay, stay with me. Don't read ahead yet. Let's, I want to just kind of walk through the chapter and point out a couple of things. Hey, he speaks comfort. And so God is saying, comfort, comfort my people. Comfort my people. He's saying, you, whoever the you person is, 
You comfort my people. Comfort my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that the war is over. She's forgiven. She's received from the Lord double for all her sins. She's, she's gotten her punishment. So Judah in exile, say to the people, okay, it's my wrath has been poured out, but you've been sufficiently punished. Another voice, a lot of debate about who the voice is, some anonymous person. I don't think we're supposed to know who the voice is. It's unidentified. It's just this anonymous voice speaking out of the darkness. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That, that, that language, well, a couple of things. Obviously, it's, it's talking about, um, like they're in exile. How, how's God going to get there? What, how's, how's deliverance going to come? Well, the, the way of the Lord's going to be prepared. There's, there's going to be in the desert and the wilderness this highway that's straight. Every valley is going to be you can visualize this, right? Every low spot is going to be brought up. Every high spot is going to be brought down. Instead of a curvy road, you're going to have a straight road. It's the idea that you're not going to have hills to go over. You're not going to have valleys to go into. You're not going to have to go around mountains. You're not going to have to go around obstacles. There's a highway. There's an interstate. It's flat, and there are no obstacles, right? That's the, that's the imagery that he's using. Uneven ground shall become level. The rough places of plain. The glory of the Lord shall be revealed. Now, I hope you see more than that, though. <laughs> you know, I hope you see there the echoes of somebody else who's coming. A voice crying in the wilderness, you know, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is Matthew 3 language, where Matthew's using the language of Isaiah 40 to point out the ministry of, of John the Baptist. I'll, I'll come back to that in a few minutes because I think that's, that's how we ought to read this as Christians. But go on, look, look what the Word of God says. A voice, again, an anonymous voice says, Cry, and I said, What shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all its beauty is like the flower of the field. The grass withers, the flower fades, when the breath of the Lord blows on it. Surely the people are grass, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the Word of our God will stand forever. First Peter 1 uses that language. There are all sorts of New Testament ties here. But, you know, all flesh is like grass, and probably we're supposed to read that in a couple of ways. The, the Jewish people, their flesh is like grass. They, they are helpless in the face of the unstoppable threat of Babylon. They can't do anything about it. They're, they're just, like, just like grass blowing in the wind. They, they can't withstand. But also, I think we're supposed to read that in a different way. And that is that not only, not only the flesh of, of the Jewish people is like grass, but the flesh of the Babylonian people, the flesh of Nebuchadnezzar, the flesh of, of the Persian successor, Cyrus and Darius, and, and, and all these world leaders who look, they are unstoppable. And Isaiah, God is saying in this Isaiah 40, he's saying, all flesh is like grass. The grass just blows in the wind. Don't you, don't, don't you dare think that this immovable force, this Nebuchadnezzar, this Babylonian empire is in any sense sovereign. And he goes on and he says why well, that's true. Verse 9, go up, on a high, go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. That's gospel language there, by the way. Herald of good news, evangelist, one who cries out good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, Behold your God. God's coming. God is coming. 
to rescue his people. The, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them to his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. How can we know he can do this? Verse 12, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? And the, the language there is communicating this idea of God, all, all the waters of the earth, all the waters of every ocean, it just fits in the palm of his hand. That's, that's the language. Have you ever been out in the middle of uh, maybe flying over the Atlantic Ocean going to Europe or flying over the Pacific going to Asia? And um, or maybe you've been on a, a cruise ship when you're out in the middle and you can't see land on any, in any direction. You, you just get this sense of this is, this is incredible. What was that, uh, that book? Um, the, uh, the World War II pilots who were shot down the Pacific Ocean there for like 40-something days ended up getting picked up by a Japanese, what is it? Yeah, that's it. Unbroken, Unbroken. yeah. Um, the book, you know, the book was written and the movie came out and they're, and they're you know, it has these images in the movie of these, I don't remember how many there were, like three at the beginning, but in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, just vastness, you know. And I, I think of something like that when I read this, this verse. Uh, that it's just a, little, just a little dot in God's hand, you know. That's the language that Isaiah is using here. So when you and I feel overwhelmed and, and hopeless, we wonder, what in the world? You know, what in the world? God is so incredibly powerful that this is nothing to him. It's nothing to him. He's marked off the heavens with a span, enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, all the, all the, all the dirt, all the dust in the, in the world. It's just a little bit to him. Weighed the mountains and scales, the hills on a balance, who has measured the Spirit of the Lord? He's measured the mountains and the dirt and the oceans, but who's measured the Spirit of the Lord? What man shows him his counsel? Whom did he consult and who made him understand? Who taught him the path of justice and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? Behold the nations, Babylon, Assyria, Persia. The nations are like a drop from a bucket and are accounted as the dust on the scales. Behold, he takes up the coastlands like fine dust, Lebanon would not suffice for fuel, nor is or its beasts enough for a burnt offering. All the nations are as nothing before him. They are accounted by him as less than nothing in emptiness. doesn't mean he doesn't care about them. It's just, it just means Judah's in the midst of this, you know, the world is dominated by Babylon. It looks as if Babylon will never fall. And you, you already know this, because you've read the Old Testament. You know enough about world history to know this. Babylon's days are numbered. You know, they're not going to be around very much longer at all. God raises up. Uh, you know, the, the Persians, and they're the ones who are going to send you to back. You know, they're going to send them back here in just a few years. But it looks as if in the, when you're in the middle of this stuff and you got Babylon against you, like, there's no hope, man. There's no hope. And God says, this, this, this is nothing. This, 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 it's just, it's just, uh, just grass in the wind, you know. I, 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 I can do whatever I choose to do. You're in this situation, not because I was unable to do anything about it, 
but because I was the one responsible for this happening. You're there because I chose for you to be there. And you will leave when I choose for you to leave. There's just this emphasis on God's sovereignty here that's pretty, it's pretty amazing. To whom then will you liken God, verse 18, or what likeness compare with him? An idol? A craftsman casts it, and a goldsmith overlays it with gold and casts for it silver chains. Remember, this is in the, the, the background of a, of a very a pagan world, a Babylonian world, uh, an Assyrian world, the, the ancient Near Eastern world, which was uh, very much into casting iron and various metals to create these gods, and they'd worship them. You're going you're gonna to do that with God? Verse 20, he who is too impoverished for an offering chooses wood that will not rot. He seeks out a skillful craftsman to set up an idol that will not move. Do you not know? Do you not hear? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain and spreads them like a tent to dwell in, who brings princes to nothing and makes the rulers of the earth as emptiness. See, in the world, in the, especially in this pagan, the ancient Near Eastern world, there was this idea of the gods as being very present in creation. And that's why they would carve these gods out of, out of wood, metal, and various metals. They would create these gods. But God is, is painting this picture of, like, that is not, God is not, I don't know if you'd call this pantheism, what they believed in, but like the, the, the earth is not God. God is omnipresent, but the earth, the tangible things are not actually God. God sits above the circle of the earth. So it's this, it's this uh, uh, idea, the theological word for this is God's eminence, um, God's transcendence. He is above and yet he is in. He is involved in, but, he's, but he stands above. So that, that kind of, he's contrasting God with the gods of the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the pagans. Scarcely, verse 24, they planted, scarcely sown, scarcely has their stem taken root in the earth. When he blows on them and they wither and the tempest carries them off like stubble. Uh, to whom then will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see. Who created these? He who brings out their host by number, calling them all by name, by the greatness of his might, and because he is strong in power, not one is missing. Now here's, the, here's where all this has been heading. Okay, They're in... That they're in exile, or Isaiah may have been writing this years before, looking ahead to a time when they're in exile, and they're crying out for deliverance. They're crying out for hope. We're, we don't have anything to cling to. And he says, tell these people there's peace, there's peace. A highway has been built. God is coming. God is going to, God is going to show up, and there's going to be deliverance. And so it comes to this. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. God doesn't hear. You know, He doesn't even know. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not. All right, here's the application part of this, all right? This is beautiful. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. And notice the repetition of some words here. He doesn't faint. He doesn't get weary. Instead, he gives power to the faint. And then verse 30. Even youths, young people in the prime of life, the vigor and strength, 
of youth. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. One of the most famous verses in Isaiah, certainly, if not the entire Bible, verses 30 and 31, especially verse 31. And that's where this chapter's been going all along, written to these people struggling, exile, oppressed, hopeless. They don't know where to turn. We, we don't know what to do. What can we, they realize there is nothing, there's absolutely nothing we can do to change our situation. Nothing we can do. We don't have any options. That's, that's what hopelessness is. There's nothing. We're powerless. Can't change it. And so God comes to them and he says, you have forgotten. You have forgotten who controls the Babylonians. You've forgotten who controls the wind, who sits above the circle of the earth, who, who uh, you know, the, the, uh, all the water and every ocean on the planet is just a little drop to him. He does whatever he wills to do. And then he, and then he comes to this. God doesn't get tired. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't get exhausted. He See, this picture of God here is, is one of God's absolute sovereignty and power, his omnipotence, his omniscience. His God is infinite in every respect. And when we become hopeless, it's because, for the moment at least, we have forgotten who God is. We've forgotten his nature. And that's where this chapter was going the whole time. Um, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Now clearly, there are a lot of ties in this chapter to the New Testament. There's the language of John the Baptist, of straight paths. There's language of God's creation. There's this language of God's coming. There's this gospel language, a herald of good news. All this stuff tied together, I think, points to our own experience as Christians, we read this, we can't help but do it, and we ought to do it. We can't help but read this as Christians would read it. And that is we see that God's coming to Judah in exile is prefiguring that God would come to us in our own exile. And that John the Baptist came and he prepared the way and he raised the, he raised the valleys and lowered the mountains and he, and he straightened the road and... And Jesus, the one who came, the one the herald was proclaiming, God is coming, God is coming, God's going to make everything right, God's going to fix this. You're in exile, it's dark, you're under the thumb of the Roman Empire, you, there's nothing you can do to change your situation, there's nothing you can do. That The Jewish people had been rebelling against Rome multiple times leading up to the time of Jesus. You know, there'd be these zealots who would rise up and start some sort of insurrection and it would end very quickly. Rome didn't have any patience for stuff like that. Even after Jesus, there were these interactions that would occur. But um, they, they realized more and more, there's nothing we can do to change our situation. There's nothing we can do. We're under the thumb of Rome, and we'll always be here. But the message that John started preaching and the one that Jesus continued preaching was that God, God is coming. God is here. And that's why the language of the New Testament speaks of Jesus in this similar kind of stuff as Isaiah 40, that he is... In the beginning was the Word. The Word is with God. The Word was God. The same as in the beginning with God. All things were what? 
All things were made by him. That's Isaiah 40 language. God created everything. Jesus created everything. Do we think that whatever situation we're in, that he can't, he can't fix if he chooses to fix it? So I know we're, uh, we're almost out of time. I'll give you a chance if you guys want to be thinking of some comment or question. I hope you'll contribute it in just a second. Um, but I guess practically what I wanted us to get from this is is to, to realize in these moments that we all have where it seems like there's, there's no hope or this is against me and everything is not as I wish that it was, that our hearts will be directed toward God who comes, who is, who creates, who turns hearts and changes lives and puts nations in power and takes them down. The one who, the one who controls things. I, I guess there's maybe a tendency for all of us to forget that. We, we tend to get caught up in the regularities of life, that things just keep on going it's, uh, as they always have been and forget that God, God is in control and He's actively working. You, know? you guys got thoughts? Merv? That's good. That's good. Um, I'd like to, for folks joining us online, I'd like to be able to repeat all of that. But um, or some of you guys can't hear it, I'm sure, as well. But yeah, I think just the, the me aspect of it is, is what causes us problems. It's, uh, and it's a spiral. You know, it's hard to, it's hard to break because we, we, we become caught up in our, ourselves and our inability to fix something, which causes us to be hopeless, which causes us to turn inward and, you know, even more rather than focusing on, on God and realizing, yeah, we are impotent to fix this. 
but God isn't. And maybe, maybe what God is wanting to teach us in this experience is reliance and trust and to realize that we are, uh, we are, we have no hope without him, you know. Maybe that's what we need to realize and maybe that's one of the things we can experience as a result of this year or whatever experience we're in right now, you know. Just good thoughts. I appreciate it. Anybody else got something you want to add? Okay. We will, we will pray and finish up. I appreciate you guys being here, and I hope you have a good rest of the week. Yeah, one more. Ben, go ahead. He's a senior in high school, and his name is Sidney. Sidney Posey. Thank you, Ben, for letting us know. A former student of yours, did you say? Because um, you, you can't, uh, over in Oxford, where Ben used to teach, a uh, student got a new car on Friday and uh, wrecked, had a wreck on Sunday and, and died. A senior in high school. That's, so, that's awful. All right, we'll pray for Sidney's family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for being a God who sits above the circle of the earth. You, uh, from as Isaiah says, from one perspective, Lord, this, we're just grasshoppers in the sense that you are so infinite. But we also know that you love us so deeply, and that humbles us. Help us to trust in you, Lord, no matter what happens, that we will just know that Jesus is the anchor of our souls, and that he has gone behind the curtain, and because of that, we have access to you. We thank you so much for that. Uh, Lord, we pray for what Ben has just mentioned to us. We pray for Sidney Posey's family, as they are just, I can't even imagine, Lord. I pray for them. We pray for them. Please give them strength. Bring just pray you'll bring hope out of hopelessness and you'll bring faith out of unbelief. That you will bring good out of bad, Lord, in every situation. Please be with us now as we go home and uh, go to work or school or whatever this week that we will be faithful in whatever it is we're, we're going to be doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.